Thank you for listening to this message brought to you by the audio ministry of Lighthouse Baptist Church in Schenectady, New York. For more great content, please visit us at lighthousebaptist.org. Now let's open our hearts and minds to the Word of God. This is the 13th year, um, and Brother Blaine got me introduced to the church back in 2011. And in spite of that being my introduction, they still invited me back again and again. I appreciate that. Uh, Brother Blaine and I uh, worked together on what we called boot camp teen rallies, and we held those across the country. And uh, that first summer of doing those together, we did one here, and we did one in uh, Hopewell, Virginia. But That was my home church. And uh, just had a great time, and Blaine and I formed a great, great friendship and really, really enjoyed the years we got to work together traveling in youth ministry, um, and uh, I, don't, I don't see him much anymore. He travels a lot, I travel a lot, and we don't uh, hold meetings together as much, but I do appreciate uh, his introduction to this ministry and the, the involvement I've been able to have since that time. So we've been, that, uh, that, con- that particular rally has continued year after year, though it's moved locations back and forth. Uh, it's been at Heritage Baptist Church in Cohoes. And uh, it seems, I believe it's coming back here uh, this summer. And so I've been continuing to be a part of that rally and look forward to it this summer. Hopefully the teams will be a part of that August 18th and 19th. So we're looking forward to that. Our ministry is, is entirely focused on reaching and discipling kids and teens and also reaching their families. So back in the summer of 2010, the Lord laid on my heart to start a ministry to young people that was focused on reaching their hearts because I saw that so much of youth ministry uh, was failing, um, my own upbringing included, and it's not to say anything against um, my home and my church because there, I had a great upbringing and a great church, but there was just a tendency to miss the point so that so many who grew up with me are now nowhere to be found, not serving the Lord, not even in church, and some far from God in different ways. And it was a pattern that was continuing, and it was, it was um, something that I was burdened about. And at the time, I was working for a Christian music publishing ministry and enjoyed the time I was able to write and direct and produce music. But I knew the Lord was leading me to get involved in youth ministry full-time. And so it worked out for me to step away from that ministry, start Keep Your Heart Ministries, which has then, since that time, grown and uh, given us many, many opportunities to serve young people and their families, and to serve local churches. Uh, it has um, added many different elements over the years. We've gotten involved in short-term mission trips. We've gone, and still do that, we've gone to Haiti and Guatemala many times, uh, though we're not able to get back into Haiti right now. In fact, uh, it was interesting, the letter that was read in Sunday school, um, Ron Maggard, he's my uncle, actually, and uh, we work with him in, uh, in Haiti and Guatemala, though we haven't been able to get back, and we lead short-term mission trips to uh, uh, different places, even here. Uh, for a while, we were working with a pastor in Brooklyn. Um, we, we go to Salt Lake City area uh, every year to work with the Mormon community out there. We go to Kansas City, Missouri to work with an inner city ministry out there. And so the Lord kept adding opportunities. Meanwhile, we were also uh, launching after-school programs and camps for focusing on music and drama because we found that was a great way to get into um, places we couldn't get otherwise. People who wouldn't send their kids to a Christian camp 
were intrigued by an after-school program for music and drama, and so we've been able to see that as a great outlet and something that's continued to grow. And we believe that discipleship can be carried out in an incredible way through music and drama. So we've really leaned into that, and a lot of our ministry has been focused on music and drama. Uh, and we're in the process of currently changing, our, changing the name of our ministry to Alive Ministries because uh, we've become so much more known for the music and drama aspect. People were getting confused as to what Keep Your Heart was and our, our impact trips and our uh, Summit Teen rallies. There were too many names. <laughs> so from a branding perspective, people were very confused and we wanted to make sure that if, when we reached people at our live events, they could get right to uh, the discipleship materials and the, all the things we have on our app and all that. And so we, in order to make it less confusing, we streamlined everything down to Alive Ministries. And our focus remains the same, to reach and disciple kids and teens and to, and to reach their families as well. And God has given us so many great opportunities over the years. I've got some, there's some music on the back table, some CDs that we've produced over the years. A couple of them are uh, our, our original musical productions. There's Ruth and Esther back there. And those will be kind of like audio dramas, the, whole, the, the majority of the script in Ruth's case, the entire script in Esther's case is on there, and, uh, and all the music from those productions. So it's really great to listen to as a family, to listen to those Bible stories come to life in that way. And uh, then our newest recording that our ministry team just finished this past spring is called Come Find His Rest. And this CD is something that the Lord really, really uh, worked on my heart about producing, and it came together in just a fantastic way. These are songs of comfort and assurance, and they will minister to your heart, especially if, if you're in need of some extra comfort or help, or uh, if you're grieving. Uh, we had a really, really rough uh, last couple of years in our, with our family and with our um, uh, many people around us suffering, most notably uh, my sister losing her six-month-old baby in May of 2021. It was a huge shock to us, and uh, just a devastation to our family, but through that time, certain songs became very precious to us, and, um, and so we recorded that album. Our ministry team includes myself, my wife, um, Zach is on there, several other young people that have come through our uh, Alive productions, and, uh, but also my sister who lost her baby is singing on here, uh, my, my dad and my other sister. It's a it's an incredible recording, so I, I hope you'll look at that. We don't have very many left. It, it sold really fast, sold out really fast, uh, but I hope that would be a blessing to you. The reason we produce this music is because we believe in the power of Christian music in the home, in the car, and, in, and on your phone and wherever you are. We need to be flooding our hearts and minds with the truth of God's word, and that's the only kind of music we produce, uh, music that floods your hearts and mind with the truth of God's word. Um, when I traveled with Byron Fox for years and years, he would always say, we believe Christian homes ought to have Christian music in them. And so we've tried to, to produce quality, enjoyable Christian music that you will love to, to listen to and sing along to. So uh, take, a, take a look at those. We'd love to, to talk about those at the back table. All right, let's get back to uh, the Bible. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. I want us to look at this chapter this morning because there are some, some great lessons that we can learn as believers, and we're just going to 
work through each of the, the verses in this chapter. It's not a long chapter, but I want us to see uh, some very specific exhortations we find here. I want to begin uh, by reading just that first verse, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 1. Furthermore, then, we beseech you, brethren, and exhort you by the Lord Jesus, that as ye have received of us how ye ought to walk and to please God, so ye would abound more and more. Let's pray as we begin this morning. Lord, we thank you for the beautiful day that you've given to us, the opportunity we have to gather together and to worship you and to focus our hearts and minds on your word. I thank you for what we've already experienced in the Sunday school hour, in the music that we participated in this morning. I pray now as we turn our attention to this specific passage in your word that you would help us to drive out all distractions that would keep us from really getting, really grasping what you have for us from these words today. I pray that you would help me uh, strengthen my voice, give me exactly the words that are needed for this congregation this morning. I pray most of all that you would be pleased with what takes place and that your son Jesus Christ would be exalted in all of it. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. I want to speak to you this morning about more and more. Do you notice that phrase at the end of verse 1? Paul says, Brethren, we exhort you by the Lord Jesus that as ye have received of us how ye ought to walk and to please God so you would abound more and more. And that's a theme that we find even throughout this short letter, the idea of abounding, of growing, of continuing more and more. He says, listen, you, you already know what to do. It's just time for you to do it and to do more of it. I think that's a timely message for us as believers. You know, especially those who've been saved for any length of time. There's always, there are always new things for us to learn. There are always new aspects of the, the accounts that we read in Scripture. There are always new principles that we just didn't see. But there's plenty that we already know to do, isn't there? I have found in my life and ministry that there are a lot of things to argue about. There's a lot of things that people enjoy debating. When it comes to the, the, the scriptures, when it comes to theology, when it comes to ministry philosophy, there are a lot of things people like to argue about, people like to debate about, and come down on different sides and write their books and all that. But you know what I've noticed? Is that the majority of Christians aren't struggling in the areas where all the debate is happening. The majority of Christians are struggling to simply do what is plain and simple, black and white, recorded for us in the scriptures. We struggle most with simply doing what we know we are supposed to do. And Paul says, I spent time with you. Now, Paul had a very interesting experience with the Thessalonians. Of course, he was not with them very long. He, had, he was driven out by those who didn't want the, the, the gospel message spreading in that city. But he made sure to leave people behind to teach them, and he writes letters to them. He says, you know, I saw how you received the gospel, and I saw how it transformed your life. He said, you watched our lives as an example. 
you became followers of the gospel and you became examples of it yourself. He said, you know what to do. Now I just want you to do more of it. And I think as believers, we would have to be honest with ourselves and say we could all be doing more. I, I consider myself to be a pretty busy person. <laughs> and the Lord has given me lots of opportunity to serve him, teaching basically a full-time load uh, in Ver at Veritas Baptist College. I teach Greek to undergrad students and graduate students. That keeps me pretty busy, grading tests and quizzes and and all the different things that come with that, that keeps me busy. Traveling on the road almost every weekend, uh, trying to manage our ministry and, and preach and teach and write new content and write scripts and write music and record music and all the different things that we do, uh, it keeps me busy. People, my, I mean, most of all, my mom was checking on me all the time. You're too busy. You need to take some time. And I know that there is such a thing as doing too much and not considering your own health and all that. I'm not encouraging anyone to live an unhealthy lifestyle and to run themselves ragged and to exhaust themselves to death. We know we have to be good stewards of our time and resources and our health. But I'm just saying, if we were all honest with ourselves, when it comes to the things that God expects of us, we could be doing more. All of us could. Late last year, I was surprised to get on to Facebook and see a bunch of my friends who I had gone to college with talking very cryptically about a missionary who had died on the field. And I was just getting snippets here and there. They were like, please pray, we can't give any details, and, and on and on that went. And then eventually they asked that all that be taken down because the, the person's family was still there in a very dangerous situation. It wasn't until uh, a couple of days later that I learned that that a man I knew personally had sat in a class with and had benefited from uh, had been killed, had been murdered in Iraq where he went to serve. It's a dangerous place to serve the Lord. Uh, he did so in an, in an incredible way in the time that he spent there. He and his family, they taught English as a, as a means of getting into the lives of those people, and they spread the gospel. And they were well-liked, they were loved by the community. But there was a Muslim activist group that found them and tracked them down and killed him uh, in the car while his family was with him. Somehow his family was unharmed, and they were able to get them safely out of the country. A few days after that, I heard from one of his dearest friends uh, who said he had just spoken to him on the phone that day the very day that his life was taken. And as he was getting off the phone, he said, you know, we've just got to do, we've got to be doing more for the cause of Christ. We've got to be doing more for the cause of Christ. Then this man literally gave his life for the gospel. And that's convicting to those of us who live in relative safety with every opportunity at our disposal to serve the Lord. And we don't, take those opportunities. We don't speak up, even though for us it wouldn't be risking our lives in most cases. We don't spend more time in, in the Word of God, though we have the time and convenience to do so. We don't serve as often, though we have the, the, the means to do so. Paul says, listen, you guys are doing great. You have become followers of the gospel, examples of the gospel, 
I just want you to keep growing and abounding more and more. Verse 2, he says, you know what commandments we gave you by the Lord Jesus. He's going he's to remind them of some specific things he had taught them. He says, for this is the will of God, even your sanctification, that you should abstain from fornication. Now, before we get further into this passage, I want us to note that it's basically broken into three sections of topical exhortations here. And all of them have to do with the very specific areas of God's will for every believer. The topic of God's will, I think, is really, really interesting because we talk about it as if it is so mysterious. And I could not claim to know what God's will is for your life specifically because God does have a plan for every person. And I can't know where, where he wants you to go and what he wants you to do. But when it comes to what God's will is for believers in general, it's not mysterious at all. It's plainly recorded for us in passages like these. God's will is what God desires. What God desires, he reveals to us without mystery. And this chapter is one of those in Scripture where we find quite a bit about what God desires. We see it plainly as Paul explains what he would desire to see take place in the lives of these Thessalonian believers. The exhortations fall in these three basic categories. Exhortations concerning clean living, exhortations concerning Christian love, and exhortations concerning the coming of the Lord. But before he gets into any specific area, he wants to reiterate that God's desire for believers at all stages is that they keep growing. Progress, growth, development, that's what God desires for each of us. There is never a time, no matter how long you've been saved, that you can say, I'm done learning, I'm done growing. You can always abound more and more. The Christian life is defined by progress. Paul said, I press toward the mark. We have the high calling, the same high calling that, that Paul himself had. And we should always be growing, pressing toward that mark. When the foundation is laid, you build on that foundation and you grow and you grow. We're not supposed to spend our lives relearning the same lessons over and over again. We're supposed to learn and grow, learn and grow, add to faith, virtue, to virtue, knowledge, to knowledge, temperance. This process of growth and maturity is highlighted all throughout the New Testament. God wants all of us to keep growing. But now let's see some of those specific areas that we need to address. Look back at verse 3. For this is the will of God, even your sanctification, that you should abstain from fornication. We'll stop here again for a moment because... He's going to talk about a specific aspect of our lives that needs to be dealt with. But he begins by saying, this, this is God's will. Even your sanctification, sanctification is that process of being conformed to the image of Christ. God intends that for every one of us. All of us are supposed to be growing more and more conformed to his image, being set apart from our old sinful habits to a life of holiness for his use. Our sanctification, that's what God wants for each of us. So none of us can say, I don't know what God wants for me. You do know what God wants. He wants you to be conformed to the image of his son. That is the process that's working out in your life on a daily basis. But it, it has to be one of submission and cooperation. 
God is working in you, but you have to yield to his working and allow him to do the work that he intends to do in your life. One critical aspect of sanctification is abstaining from fornication, and that's what he's getting to right here. He says, this is the will of God, even your sanctification, this is a critical aspect of this, that you should abstain from fornication. That is the biblical term for any kind of sexual sin. Let's continue reading. That every one of you should know how to possess his vessel in sanctification and honor, not in the lust of concupiscence, even as the Gentiles which know not God, that no man go beyond and defraud his brother in any matter, because that the Lord is the avenger of all such, as we also have forewarned you and testified. For God hath not called us unto uncleanness, but unto holiness. He therefore that despiseth, despiseth not man, but God, who hath also given unto us his Holy Spirit. So, a critical aspect of our sanctification, of, our, of the process of becoming more like Christ, is abstaining from fornication or any kind of sexual sin. Now, this was obviously a big problem for the Thessalonians. It was a big problem for their society because they, even in, in, built into their religion, was the worship of gods and goddesses, which include pagan rituals and all kinds of sexual immorality. This was woven into the fabric of their society. Now, would you agree it's a problem for our society today as well? It certainly is. This is a, this is a perennial issue. It doesn't go away. It, it, it just continues to cycle through. We are living in disturbing times. But you can know that in first century Greece and Rome, they were living in disturbing times as well. And God was building his church in cities like Thessalonica. And God was building his church in cities like Rome in the midst of all of this wickedness and uncleanness. And what he was saying was, while the culture around you might be corrupted more and more, you should be growing more and more like Christ. The culture around you should not be encroaching. But instead, you should be shedding the light into the darkness of that culture. And fornication was a major issue for them. He talks about possessing your vessel in honor. That's honoring God with your body. We know 1 Corinthians chapter 6 teaches us that our bodies belong to God. It's the temple of the Holy Ghost. We're not our own. We're bought with a price. We're to glorify God with our bodies and our spirits, both of which belong to him. We're not to seek to gratify all of our desires, our lusts, because he says that's the behavior of lost people. He says that's how the Gentiles live. People who, are, who don't know God, pagans, who have no concept of what the Word of God teaches, that's how they live. Don't live like them. He talks about those who take advantage of others or behave improperly towards others. He says they will face judgment from God. God is serious about these matters. We've been called to live holy lives. That's our purpose. Verse 7, God hath not called us unto uncleanness, but unto holiness. And he gives them another warning because he says, I've already told you this. Because again, this was an issue. If you reject or ignore these warnings, he says, you're not just rejecting my words, but God's words and the Holy Spirit who teaches you these things. When you disobey in these matters, you are grieving that Holy Spirit who indwells you and teaches you these things. Listen, society wants nothing to do with the morality taught in Scripture. 
and they might fight against us, and they do, and political wars may wage over it, and they do, but these people who choose to live in this way and celebrate this lifestyle are not just resisting us, they're resisting God himself, and God will be the one ultimately to deal with that. Now, let's be careful not to to state that and rest in that like, okay, one day God's going to judge them good. No, that should burden our hearts to see to it that we reach them before God has to do that. Because it's a serious matter. And we, we are called to, to live lives of holiness and to be the light that shines in the darkness. So there, there are some exhortations concerning clean living. This is what God expects of you. He expects you to live a life that is distinct from the world, that is holy, that's separated, that is clean, that is free from a pursuit of fleshly lusts. Then starting in verse 9, we see that there are some specific exhortations concerning Christian love. Look what it says starting in verse 9. Chapter 4, verse 9. But as touching brotherly love, or concerning brotherly love on that topic, ye need not that I write unto you, for ye yourselves are taught of God to love one another. Think about that for a moment. Now, Paul is certainly talking about a group of people he knew personally and had, and had witnessed some things and also heard report from them. And so he knows this is, this is something they're not necessarily struggling with. He says they already know. But the way he describes it reminds us that all of us as believers inherently know how to love one another because of how God loved us. Do you understand? God has shown us his love when we did not deserve it and Romans chapter 5 says his love is shed abroad in our hearts it's the idea that it's been poured into our hearts so that it overflows because of how God loved us we already know how to love others we have experienced the greatest love that there is so we have no excuse for not showing that love to others you already know how to do this, he says. And then he tells them more specifically, verse 10, and indeed, you do it toward all the brethren which are in all Macedonia. So they were already showing love. They were known for it. But notice, but we beseech you, brethren, that ye increase, there it is again, more and more. You guys are doing a great job, he says, showing love to one another. I'm hearing reports about it, he says, but you can do more more and more and that you study to be quiet verse 11 and to do your own business and to work with your own hands as we commanded you that you may walk honestly toward them that are without and that you may have lack of nothing so christian love the holy spirit of god within us teaches us this god's love shown to us teaches us this but there can always be more love shown and i think in our churches, we need more of this. We need more intentional demonstrations of love for one another. You might think, well, I mean, we, we walk in and we say, I, or sometimes we say I love you. We shake hands, sometimes we, we hug. I'm talking about thinking outside the box. What are some intentional ways that we can show our brothers and sisters in Christ that we do love them. Not just on Sunday mornings when we exchange greetings, 
Because you recognize that God said, that Christ said of his followers, that we would be recognized because of our love for one another. So can the outside world look in to this church and see a distinct kind of love that you share for one another? Can they see intentional acts of charity that demonstrate that we have a love that differs from the world's love? We can always be doing more and more in our love for one another. It's interesting how he talks about love and how that kind of plays out as it relates to the others around them in the community. We saw there in verse 11 and 12, you study to be quiet, to do your own business, to work with your own hands, as we commanded you to walk honestly toward them that are without, that you may lack, have lack of nothing. He tells them to mind their own business and to work hard, not to cause trouble. So the Bible is very clear that we're supposed to be interested in the needs of others and helping others, but we're not to be meddling in people's lives for the purpose of causing strife and trouble. There's a difference. So some people think, oh, mind your own business and be quiet. That means I just stay in my corner. I don't talk to anyone. No, you have to take both and, and work them together. We, ha- we are called to look on the things of others in the sense that we are concerned about them and their need, but we are not inserting ourselves into people's lives for the sake of causing strife and stirring up trouble. You know, there are some people in this world who just like to cause trouble. I, am I the only person who's experienced that? We all know those people. Don't be that kind of person that causes trouble. Mind your own business in that sense. Work hard. Don't cause trouble. Provide for yourself and your family. Maintain a good testimony with the lost. Don't owe them. Don't cheat them. And as much as possible, have your own needs met without others having to take care of you. That's There was clearly a problem in Thessalonica where people were choosing not to work and just hoping everyone else would take care of them. That's why when he writes the second time in 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, he says, I already told you this, but those who don't work should not eat. He's talking about those who are able to work but refuse to, not those who can't work for whatever reason. So there was clearly some kind of issue with that. And he says, listen, part of showing Christian love is showing tough love sometimes. (laughs) People that have issues need to get those issues straightened out. Help the people who need help, but don't enable the people who are taking advantage of others. Christian love is not always just, here's a gift. Christian love is sometimes having to speak the truth in love. So I'm not just talking about being mushy all the time. Sometimes showing love means looking into someone's specific need and addressing that need in a biblical way. So it's God's will that we live clean lives, It's God's will that we love other believers. And then we have some final exhortations here concerning the coming of the Lord. These are very well-known verses. We'll look at them just briefly here. Notice what it says in verse 13. I would not have you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning them which are asleep, that ye sorrow not, even as others which have no hope. He says, listen, I don't want you to be concerned about this area. Obviously, Paul has heard that there's a lot of fear concerning the return of Christ. In fact, it seems like there were people spreading rumors that it had already happened. They'd already missed it. And they were living in the tribulation period right then because they were experiencing difficulty. And so they, they wondered about that. There was also concern about what happens to those who had gotten saved and then died. Are they, what happens to those people? Because they were fully expecting to be alive when the Lord returned. So what happens if they die? He says, I don't want you to be ignorant. I want to I make sure you understand exactly what's going to happen. And you don't need to be 
sorrowful like the lost world because they have no hope in death, but you do. Verse 14, for if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so them also which sleep in Jesus will God bring with him. For this we say unto you by the word of the Lord, that we which are alive and remain unto the coming of the Lord shall not prevent or precede them which are asleep. For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, with the trump of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. So he explains exactly how this is going to go down. This is the passage from which we get our understanding of the rapture. That word does not appear in the scripture. We understand that, but it comes from the terminology of being caught up that we see right here in this passage. We believe that we are not, and this book and the next one will tell you that over and over again, we are not destined to wrath. We're not appointed to wrath. We are not going to have to endure the tribulation when God pours out his judgment on this world. We have been appointed to mercy, and we believe that God has a plan to take his church out of this world before he pours his judgment out upon it in the years of tribulation. And these people were concerned about their family who had already died. And he says, listen, God has a plan for them too. We are not going to go ahead of them, but in fact, they're going to go ahead of us. When Jesus comes in the, cloud, in the clouds for his church, the dead in Christ will be raised first. Then we which are still living at the time of the rapture will be caught up with them to meet them in the clouds, and then together we will all be with the Lord. He said, this should be a comfort to you. God has a plan for those loved ones who, who were believers but have already passed away. God has a plan for you. None of you as believers will have to endure the outpouring of God's wrath, so don't be concerned. But instead, verse 18 Wherefore, comfort one another with these words. The soon return, which we believe is still imminent. There's nothing we have to look for specifically. It's going to happen like a thief in the night. The soon return of our Lord should be a comfort to his children. But it should also be that which compels us to do what? To do more and more. As we see the day approaching. The author of Hebrews would tell us not to forsake the assembling of ourselves together, as the manner of some is, but to gather, to exhort one another, and to do it so much the more as you see the day approaching. We need each other. We need the fellowship. We need the study of God's word. We need to love one another. We need to encourage one another, to keep one another accountable, because as, as long as the Lord leaves us here, he has something for us to do so no matter what age or situation you find yourself in, it's not time to start putting on the brakes. <laughs> it's time to do more and more for the Lord as long as he gives you ability to do so. Let's stand and have heads bowed and eyes closed. I'm going to turn the service over to Pastor here in just a moment. But I would encourage you, if God's spoken to your heart about these issues this morning, if you have been convicted of the thought, there's more that I can do. I need to be doing more for the cause of Christ. I need to be doing more to live distinctly from the world. I need to be doing more to show love to my fellow believers. I need to do more because time is short. I need to tell others before it's too late. Then let's spend some time in prayer this morning here at the altar or there in your seat, asking God to help you and give you the strength to do more and more for him. Lord, we thank you for your word, we thank you for what you've taught us. We ask that you bless in the time of invitation to follow, work in hearts as you see fit.
We ask these things in Jesus' name. We hope that message was an encouragement to you. To stay up to date with us, please follow us on Twitter and like us on Facebook at LBC Schenectady. If you would like more information on how heaven can be your home, please visit lighthousebaptist.org slash the gospel.